We have been talking in this sermon series about assurance. How do I know uh, that I'm walking with Jesus? How do I know that I have a faith in Christ? What we talked about last week is just the simple truth that the security that comes, it doesn't come from the talent that you have. It doesn't come from how good you are. It doesn't even come really on what you can do. The security that we have comes from what Jesus Christ has done. The way we said it last week, because we were looking at a, a verse that, where Jesus described himself as the great shepherd, it, we said that the security of the sheep relies on the skill of the shepherd, not the talent of the sheep. And so we understand from that that you can't earn your way to heaven, you can't impress God in such a way that somehow we end up in heaven, that it all has to do with what Jesus Christ has done, the gift that he's given us, the work that he has done on the cross. But we do, however, get to respond to that great gift. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 reminded us last week that you, it's by grace that you are saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's not something that you do on your own. It's God's gift. It's not coming from your work so that no one can boast on that. So we're all in the same boat. No matter how good we think we are, no matter all that we think that we can do, no matter how talented, no matter how smart, no matter how good we think that we get it, we all fall short of the glory of God. But it's by his grace that we are saved if we accept him. And so maybe you'd be coming to the point today to go, okay, I get that, but now... What, what do I do with that? Well, another, another thing that, that happens is, you know, sometimes we begin to doubt. Sometimes we struggle with doubt because maybe we just haven't been actively doing something for a while. Or maybe it's actually something that we don't know how to do, and so we struggle with that. Now, we've had this theme today. And doesn't, doesn't Brittany do a great job with our children's ministry and all the volunteers? They do that. We just so appreciate what they're doing. See, there we go. Thank you for that. And, uh, and so we've had this theme about teams, and when she came to me a few weeks ago and said, hey, we want to do this, we're going to hand out these basketballs, and, you know, maybe you could wear a jersey. I'm like, I'm in on that. I'm not great with that. Which one do you want? I have a collection in the, in the thing. And if I'd known we could have worn our hockey sweaters today, I'd have been with you, Pat. I like that one. So, um, But we're in on this team, and, and we're thinking about, well, okay, how do we do this? And it got me to thinking about the first few teams that I was on. Now, I grew up. I grew up in Fort Worth, and then at some point in, our, in my childhood, we moved to Texarkana. And when I was in Fort Worth, I played football, I played soccer, did these things. When we moved to Texarkana, it was middle of the year, uh, middle of the school year, and so I show up at this new place, and they're playing basketball. I had never played basketball in my life until that point in time. And I just remember being the new kid, and I was tall, so it was one of those things where you go, oh, you got new tall kid. He can play basketball. And I'm like, I've never played this before. And I remember being on the court, and they're trying to teach me how to play this game. And I, I, you may have heard me share this story before. I just, I will never forget this. They're trying to teach me how to do a layup, which I'd never done. It's like, okay, coach is talking to you, and he says, if you're coming in from the right side, you plant your left foot, you put your right hand up, and you do a layup that way, bounce it off the glass, goes in hoop. Okay. He goes, but if you're coming from the left side, you want to dribble with your left hand, you want to protect from the guy that's coming, and when you get ready to do a layup, you want to plant your right foot, you want to put your left foot up, you want to bounce it off the glass if you can do that. For some reason, in my little brain, it connected in such a way that that meant if I'm on the left side of the court, I have to shoot with my left hand no matter where I am. And if I'm on the right side of the court, I have to shoot with my right hand. This game was all of a sudden incredibly hard to me. 
because they would throw me the ball on the left side of the court, and I am right-handed. And so it was this awkward little, where finally the coach just looked at me and goes, what are you doing? I said, well, you said you have to shoot left-handed over here. He goes, no, just the layup. I was like, oh, thank the Lord. Okay, this game is, all right, I, I think maybe I can do this now. And, but I was so just lost out there. I had no earthly idea what to do. They're calling plays, talking about picks, and doing. And I, I had no idea what I was doing. And they would tell me, finally, just stand here when we throw you the ball. Turn around and put it in because you're taller than everybody else. I'm like, got it. I can do that. All right? And it took some time. And then, of course, basketball became the sport that I loved. I ended up playing it all through middle school, all through high school. And uh, it was just, I just loved playing the game. And, of course, as I played the game more and more, I became more confident. And it really became something that I began to understand. Hey, when you know how to do things, you can actually do them with confidence. Well, lo and behold, right? And so here's the truth of today is that if I know how, I can do the work. If I know how to do something, I can do it. Thank you, Pastor, Captain Obvious. We appreciate that. But the truth is, is a lot of times we get thrown into positions or we get put into places and we go, I don't even know what I'm doing here. And people look at you and think, well, maybe you'd be good at this or maybe you'd be good at that. And you kind of go there and you, you start doing things. You don't get instruction. You don't know what to do. And so you, you, you're on the team. You got that much. But you just flat have no idea what I do from this point in time. So we have to take some time to go, okay, well, then what is it that we're actually trying to do? And what is it that we do to make this team move forward? And if we think about that with our faith, God gives us some direction on that. So it begins by saying that it's all about God's work. It's not about our talent. But though it's not about our talent, once we're on the team, God uses our talent to do incredible things if we'll allow him. And we have a passage in Hebrews I want to share with you this morning. It's in Hebrews chapter 10. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. If you have your iPad, you can access it if you have your iPhone. Or you can just listen to me and it'll be on the screen as well. But Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19, it says this, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness, or the same word there for confidence, boldness or confidence, to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, that means we're on the team. He has inaugurated for us a new way through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. It's this picture of saying, okay, you now have access to something. You're on the team, and so let's draw in a little close. Let's listen to the coach. It says in verse 23, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. And let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now just in a big picture about this little snippet of scriptures that I've read there's there's some good news that we see in there and there's some some bad news that you could possibly see in there the good news is this it says that if you if you know Jesus Christ that you now have everything you need you have boldness and you have confidence to come close to God to draw near to him that you have been given access to God through the blood of Jesus Christ now, that's, that's like getting an all-access pass to something. Have you ever been given an all-access pass to a place where everybody else has maybe no access or limited access? It's a lot of fun. You kind of feel important when you're at those places. It's, it's something that you just kind of 
hold on to and you remember that. I remember being able to actually go to a Dallas Mavericks game and getting to go back behind and in the locker room or sat behind the bench before and I've done different things. I actually got to go on the court for warm-ups one time, which was incredible because I used to think I was tall. And I am not tall comparatively to these people. And I, it, was, it was a while back when Sean Bradley, seven foot six guy, was playing on the team. And we're all standing out there. And he goes, well, here, take some shots. And, you know, this monster throws me the ball over there. And we're out there. But it's just so cool because all these people are looking around. And they're probably asking a similar question as I would be if I were sitting in the stands and not out on the course. How do I get to do what that guy's doing? How do I get to go down there and do this? Where is it? Well, what this scripture tells us right here is that it's because of Jesus Christ. Now we have an all-access pass able to be able to come to the throne of God. We've been given access. Now, I said there was good news and there was bad news. Well, the bad news is, is if you've not accepted Christ as Savior, you don't have that access. You can't draw near to the throne of God. It's impossible. You, you, the guard's standing there going, mm, I'm, I'm sorry. No, nope, you're not in here. The good news is, it's not by anything that you can do or earn that would gain you that access. It's by simply accepting the fact that Jesus Christ is Savior. And if you will ask him into your heart, that grants you access to God. And so the good news is, is that because of what Jesus Christ has done, we have access to God. And because of what Jesus Christ has done, we can then have confidence, see, our confidence is in Christ. My confidence comes not in the fact that I, I had no business being on the court with professional basketball players, but my confidence came in the fact that I had the right person at the right time telling me, you can stand out here, you can do these things, you're with me. And so instead of security guards coming and, you know, bringing me off the court, there was a person standing there going, no, 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 they're with me. No, 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 they're with me. Nope, they're with me. And so you had access to things. But my confidence wasn't in me just strolling on out there doing that. My confidence is in the person who led me there. And in our faith, our confidence is in Christ and Christ alone. This passage that we read in Hebrews says, Since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus. Jesus has paid the way for us to be in a place that we can't afford to go on our own. You ever had somebody do that for you? That's a nice thing too. We're able to get into maybe a place that's a little bit too much for you to be in, but you get to hang out in this place for a little while. It's, it's, it's kind of nice. You know, I, that's one of the reasons I'm, I'm always passionate about things like the Annie Armstrong Easter offerings because there's people out here doing the work that are relying on others to fund their way to be able to do stuff because there's no way that they could do it unless somebody else was supporting them. It's one of the reasons that I'm passionate about us giving to our event scholarship fund that helps make sure kids and students are able to go to camps and retreats and other things and make sure that money's never an excuse for them to have access to these type of things, but it all relies on our generosity. And I, I, I was the fourth of four children, and uh, I, you know, I'm the baby, so spoiled rotten mama's boy, yes, but also understood that there wasn't anything left by the time they came to me, you know what I mean? I had all the hand-me-downs, and when it was like, Dad, I, I want to do this, and it was like, Ugh. and so I was so thankful for the people who gave. As a matter of fact, I'll never forget, <laughs> growing up as the fourth of four, there's some advantages, there's some disadvantages. I'll never forget going to my dad and finally deciding, Dad, I just want to tell you something. I'd really like to learn to play the drums. And this look of horror coming over my dad's 
face. Now, you might think that the look of horror that came over my dad's face was because we don't need a person beating those things in the house, but that wasn't it at all. The look of horror that came over my dad's face is, and we got to talk about this later on in life, he said, it was because, Lindell, you're the fourth one. And all the other three had instruments sitting over there to the side that they had begged for. Dad, I'd love a guitar. Can you play guitar? Dad, I'd love this. And so my dad worked real hard going, Lindell, don't you just want to play guitar? How about violin? How about fl-? It was just trying anything that he had already purchased. Because in his mind, it was like they're never going to stick with this. And so there was no way that I was going to get a drum set, though. There was no way that I could afford that. There was nothing I could do without finally convincing my dad, Dad, I'm, I'm really, I'm going to stick with this. And you know how I finally convinced my dad? So I went and talked to my mom. And I said, Mom, you've got to tell him. Mom went, Jim Holloway, you buy that boy a drum set. And it was, it was one of those things that I will never forget. And seriously, when my, when my dad passed away in the top drawer, he had this, this uh, chest of drawers that sat in his room. And the top drawer was all dad's stuff. We kind of knew that growing up, stay away from this drawer. When dad passed away, he got to open the holy drawer. It was like, okay, we've got to see what's in here. And I had written my dad a note when he bought me a drum set. And I just wrote, dad, I will never stop playing the drums. And I signed it. And when I opened that top drawer and we're cleaning out mom and dad's house after they passed away, I opened it up and there's that note that my dad had held on to because he said, All right, you say this, we're going to stick to this. But my dad had given me something and had given me a gift that I could never afford on my own. There was no way at that point in time. I couldn't even have a job when I started doing that, so much less afford this stuff. And so he gave me this beautiful, extravagant gift, but he wanted to give me the gift only if he knew that I was going to actually use the gift. He was frustrated that he had given gifts before and that... They didn't really get used for the things that he had hoped that they had been used for. And so I was determined to do everything that I could at that point in time with that gift, knowing how extravagant it was and knowing how much trouble I might get in if I don't as well, to go, I I just want to use this gift for this purpose. And so it's incredible when somebody pays your way to something or does something for you in such a way that's just overwhelming like that. We understand that. That's exactly what Christ has done. Our confidence comes in knowing that he's paid the way for us to have access to Christ. And and that image that he used there, by Christ's blood and and through the curtain, it, it comes from a description of Jesus on the cross in Matthew 27. Matthew 27, 50 and 51, it's describing Jesus' death and it says, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. said, suddenly the curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two. From top to bottom, the earth quaked and the rocks were split. Now that curtain that was torn that it's describing here was the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from everything else. And only one person had access to that one time of year. And at the point in time when Jesus died, that curtain was split and torn in two. And now people had access to a place that they had never had access before. That's overwhelming. That's incredible. And... Just an interesting side note and some of the study and some of the things I learned this, this week looking at this. The, the word for torn there, the root word, written in Greek, all that stuff, it's schizo. You ever looked at someone and said, they're kind of schizo. It means they're what? Kind of torn. <laughs> they're one way, then, then they're another. But the interesting thing about this is what we see in this when it's torn, when it's kind of, I'm, I'm looking at two sides of the, of the same thing. I don't know how this fits together. 
You know what it gives us an image of? It gives us an image of the spiritual and the physical coming together in a way that had never come together before since the creation of man. You see, you see in Genesis that the spiritual and the physical were together because God dwelt in the garden with Adam and Eve. They were, they were there same time. And then sin came in and a curtain came up and we were separated. And we were unable to have access to God at that point in time. Fast forward to what Jesus Christ has done. The curtain is torn. We now have this access to God. And so you see that there are actually two things that are going on in life all the time. There's the physical and there's the spiritual. And your heart will testify to this as we talk about this. We sometimes get so stuck on the things that we can touch and we can feel and we can do this. But we know that there's something more to this life because we sense it in our heart. We know it's true. And now Jesus, because of what he has done, has made the way for us to be able to take the physical and the spiritual and put it together in such a way that we know that this is true. And I can have confidence to live this physical life knowing that if I've given my life to Christ, not only is this life secure in him, but eternal life is secure in him as well. And that's this beautiful picture that we get at this time. And so the gift of God that he gives us is eternal life through Jesus Christ, his son. And he has offered it to everyone. And that's the beautiful thing about this gift. He's offered it to everyone. It says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 11, it says, this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. And he makes it real simple here. He says, the one who has the son, the one who accepts Jesus Christ, the one who knows Jesus has life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know. Once again, a very confident word, so that you may know that you have eternal life. You know, Paul wrote it this way in Romans, Romans 10, 13. He says very simply, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So the one thing that I think comes in common when I think about these gifts that I've been given in life or this gift of eternal life is there's nothing that I've done that would say that I deserve it, that I've earned it, that I've reached this point where it should be given to me. It's overwhelming to think that somebody loves me enough to be able to give me a physical gift, much less that there is a God who created me that loves me so much that he wants to give me the spiritual gift of eternal life, which then makes the physical and the spiritual come together in such a way as it never could before. And it puts life on a path where it all begins to go, okay, this comes together, this makes sense. And then it puts me in a place where I go, okay, I want to respond to this. How do I respond? Well, that's why we're looking at how it is to live confidently. Those who choose to accept the gift from God can show that they have this gift simply by living it out. We show that we have that gift by the way that we live. Or maybe a way to say it is my evidence is in obedience. If you want to know <clears throat> that you're following Christ, it's real simple. Just look and go, am I following Christ? Am I doing what he's commanding him? Am I trying to live for him and do the things that he's put on my heart? It says in this passage in Hebrews, since we have boldness, meaning since that's been given to us in Jesus. It says, since we have a great high priest. So this whole thing comes down to this. Since we have Jesus, 
It's the motivation for everything else. Since we know Jesus, it's the reason that we live. And since we have Jesus, we can then navigate this life with confidence. But as John said earlier in his words, if we don't have Jesus, then there is no confidence. You don't have Christ. You don't know the way. You are apart from that. So it's only through Jesus that we have this confidence. But then when we have that confidence, our choice becomes obedience. We have a choice to begin to follow him and we begin to see how only God can put a life together to where it makes sense and to where it brings fulfillment and to where it brings joy even in the midst of the difficulties that we're going to face at times in this world. You see our choice is obedience because we want to grow up in our faith. We want to grow up. We want to mature. We want to move forward to become more like Jesus. That's the goal. God says, I love you so much that I want to spend a relationship of eternity with you. But your sin is separated, so I'm going to send Jesus Christ. He's going to do two things for you. Number one, he's going to show you how to live. If you will look at his life and if you will follow his teachings, he will give you everything that you need to live. And in his perfect life, he's then going to lay that down as a sacrifice for your sin so that you can then come to me and have things that you could never have on your own. It's a twofold purpose of Jesus Christ where he comes in that way. And so that's why he sent Christ to be that way. Our choice is obedience, but our pursuit then, once we begin to follow Christ, to say, I want to grow up and be more like him. So keep this in mind. Here's our pursuit. I must pursue genuine spiritual maturity. I have to pursue genuine spiritual maturity. Well, what does that mean? Well, Again, we doubt because we don't know, right? When I, was, when I was on that court and I had no idea what plays they were calling, I had no idea what to do if they threw me the ball. I, had no, I knew I was on the team. I could look down and see, got a uniform, it's got a number. I'm on this team, everybody else looks like me. But you throw me the ball, I'm like, I, uh, I, don't, I don't have a whole lot of confidence. So we have confidence in when we, we know what we're going to do. I got to pursue spiritual maturity, which means this. I could watch all the film of basketball that I could fit in my brain. Boy, we would. We'd sit in our coach's office, and I would watch Bobby Knight yell at Juve Blob all day long. Just stand here and do this. And, and I'm sitting here trying to look at this and understand the complexities. But here was the truth. It never made sense to me until I did what? Got in the game. Never made a lick of sense to me until I was actually out on the court. Doing it. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you this. I sat on the bench for the first part of my senior year because I was so confused about the play. I'd only run it from the right side. And the first time down the court, I was on the left side. And I didn't know the opposite side of the play. They threw the ball to the other guy. I had no clue where to go. Coach goes, holy, sit down. And about six games later, I finally got to play again because I, I didn't know what to do. But boy, after that, I knew what to do. You know what I mean? It was like, ugh. And so we get confidence by actually living this out. But we can study and we can do all we want. But it really doesn't make sense until you actually are trying to do it. You see, a lot of people doubt their faith because they believe it. And they watch film on it. And they study it. But they don't ever do it. And that's where you gain your confidence. It's when you're out there trying to tell your neighbor about Christ. It's when you're taking a card and you're inviting someone to say, come join me to church. 
It's when somebody sits down with you in coffee and says, how do I figure this stuff out in life? And you say, you know what, Jesus is, is my guide in life, and, and here's how I would do these things. And you actually have to do this stuff. That's when it begins to make sense. Study it all you want, and that is good. It was helpful. Things come into play, but until you're actually doing it, that's when it begins to make sense. See, real, sport, real spiritual maturity is not only about this inward growth. It results in actions. It results in a genuine love and compassion for God and for others. And when Jesus was asked to sum it all up, he put it out this way in the greatest commandment. When he was asked, okay, Jesus, all these commandments, all these things, tell us what the greatest commandment is. And he said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what this is all about. You see, Jesus knows me. Jesus knows who we are. It said last week that Jesus knows his sheep. So he knows us. Then we have a choice of, are we going to follow him? Are we going to give our life to him? Jesus already knows you. He knows everything about you. Are you going to give your life to him and follow him? But then when I give my life to him, then I get to go and live this faith out confidently. I get to go and do something with it. Not just know more about it. I get to actually live it. And so when I know him and I accept this gift, then I love him so much that I get to turn around and love others with it as well. That's the only way that we connect confidently in relationships is when we first of all connect with God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Okay, I'm good there. And then love your neighbor as yourself. There's no way you're going to be able to love your neighbor unless you fully love God. You want to know why? Because no matter who your neighbor is, at some point in time, they're going to hurt you and they're going to let you down or they're going to disappoint you. And there's going to be a gap that's left in your life. There's going to be a pain. There's going to be a wound. There's going to be a hurt. And you know what pain and wound and hurt tends to do? It tends to make us want to move away from things, not toward them. And so the only way that we're going to be able to continue to move toward people is when we allow God to fill that gap in our life. And we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, so I now have everything that I need. So I can now turn around and I can love my neighbor as myself because I'm already getting everything I need from God. And even though this person probably will let me down, may wound me, it may be difficult, it's absolutely worth it because God created us to be dependent on him and interdependent with one another. And that's when life is at its greatest. Absolutely when life is at its greatest. As a matter of fact, it leads me to the next thing that I want to say is this. We'll put the opposite out in front of you just to help this sink in a little bit. Isolation always, I'm sorry, isolation never yields assurance. Isolation never yields assurance. Isolation actually always kind of sends us down a path somewhere where we don't tend to want to go. I've never been by myself thinking about my play in the game, sitting there going, you know what, coach is going to love this. Man, I'm sure I did everything great. And the more time I spend by myself evaluating how I've done, I'm sure everybody loves me. That's not usually what goes on in my brain. It's probably what usually doesn't go on in yours. You tend to see your blooper reel, right, all the time. You tend to think, ah, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that. I hope nobody noticed this. I don't know. And we get by ourselves sometimes, and we start getting in our own mind, which I don't ever want anybody to have to get in mind. It's a scary, scary place. But we get in there, and sometimes we just start 
and, and we tend to want to back away and we want to isolate. We want to back away. You know what? It takes work to actually take steps toward people and connect. But God continues to tell us it's absolutely worth it. Love me. I'll give you everything you need so that you can go connect with other people. And that is how you're going to live life at the fullest. That's how we live confidently. Not because of what we can do, but because of what Christ has done. We're designed to be interdependent. We work better together, period. So sometimes we lack confidence in things because we're trying to do it all by ourselves. We're trying to figure it all out alone. We were never designed to do that. God has given us one another to share stories, to give encouragement, to come together and challenge and encourage and walk with and walk beside and be together in this. That's the whole point of this. I hope you all know that. It's not just to get more people here so we just look good. It's, it's so that you can notice that there's somebody sitting next to you and you can talk with them and you can connect with them and you can grow and you can encourage and you can live this life together. I put a quote on your outline. It's by a man named Albert Moeller. He's president of Southern Seminary. And he says about this passage in Hebrews, and we're going to close with this. It says, Christians must not neglect gathering together for corporate worship and for times of prayer and encouragement. Verses 24 and 25 are strong words of judgment against those who are in the habit of neglecting other believers. Those who neglect assembling together cut themselves off from the very means whereby, and you can underline this, Christ feeds, assures, and protects his people. You want to be fed? Be together. You want to be assured? Be together. You want to be protected? Be together. Don't separate yourself. To say I can do this alone is to defy the very command of Christ. Some may claim they can hear better preaching on the internet. I can give you some email addresses if you would like. Or that they are too busy to attend church. But these excuses reveal the reality of a disobedient heart. Instead of searching for an excuse, Christians should be doing everything within their power to meet together. Not only because they need to be fed by the preaching of God's word, but also because it's part of the faith to stir up fellow believers to love and good works. I couldn't say it better, so I just took his words and gave it to you. That's what this is about. You want confidence in Christ, the first thing that you do is you make sure that you know Jesus as Savior. You want to grow that confidence, then you get around other people and you start living it out. That's what it's about.